Book Three of Eudamian Ethics by Aristotle, translated by J. Solomon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Jeffrey Edwards. Book Three, Chapter One. That there are mean states then in the virtues, and that these are states of deliberate purpose, and that the opposite states are vices and what these are has been stated in its universal form but let us take them individually and speak of them in order and first let us speak of bravery all are practically agreed that the brave man is concerned with fears and that bravery is one of the virtues we distinguished also in the table confidence and fear as contraries in a sense they are indeed opposed to one another clearly then those named after these habits will be similarly opposed to one another e g the coward for he is so called from fearing more than he ought and being less confident than he ought and the confident man who is so called for fearing less than he ought and being more confident than he ought hence they have names cognate to those of the qualities e g confident is cognate to confidence so that since bravery is the best habit in regard to fear and confidence and one should be neither like the confident who are defective in one way excessive in another nor like the cowards of whom the same may be said only not about the same objects but inversely for they are defective in confidence and excessive in fear it is clear that the middle habit between confidence and cowardice is bravery for this is the best the brave man seems to be in general fearless the coward prone to fear the latter fears many things and few great things and small and intensely and quickly while his opposite fears either not at all or slightly and reluctantly and seldom and great things only the brave endures even what is very formidable the coward not even what is slightly formidable what then does the brave man endure first is it the things that appear formidable to himself or to another if the latter his bravery would be no considerable matter but if it is the things formidable to himself then he must find many things formidable formidable things being things that cause fear to those who find them formidable great fear if very formidable slight fear if slightly formidable then it follows that the brave man feels much and serious fear but on the contrary bravery seemed to make a man fearless fearlessness consisting in fearing few things if any and in fearing slightly and with reluctance but perhaps we use formidable like pleasant and good in two senses some things are pleasant or good absolutely others to a particular person pleasant or good but absolutely bad and not pleasant e g what is useful to the wicked or pleasant to children as such and similarly the formidable is either absolutely such or such to a particular person what then a coward as such fears is not formidable to any one or but slightly so but what is formidable to the majority of men or to human nature that we call absolutely formidable but the brave man shows himself fearless towards these 
and endures such things they being to him formidable in one sense but in another not formidable to him qua man but not formidable to him except slightly so or not at all qua brave these things however are terrible for they are so to the majority of men this is the reason by the way why the habit of the brave man is praised his condition is analogous to that of the strong or healthy for these are what they are not because in the case of the one no toil in the case of the other no extreme crushes them but because they are either unaffected absolutely or affected only to a slight extent by the things that affect the many or the majority the sick then and the weak and the cowardly are affected by the common affections as well as by others only more quickly and to a greater extent than the many and further by the things that affect the many they are wholly unaffected or but slightly affected but it is still questioned whether anything is terrible to the brave man whether he would not be incapable of fear may we not allow him to be capable of it in the way above mentioned for bravery consists in following reason and reason bids one choose the noble therefore the man who endures the terrible from any other cause than this is either out of his wits or confident but the man who does so for the sake of the noble is alone fearless and brave the coward then fears even what he ought not the confident is confident even when he ought not to be the brave man both fears and is confident when he ought to be and is in this sense a mean for he is confident or fears as reason bids him but reason does not bid a man to endure what is very painful or destructive unless it is noble now the confident is confident about such things even if reason does not bid him be so while the coward is not confident even if it does the brave man alone is confident about them only if reason bids him there are five kinds of courage so named from a certain analogy between them for they all endure the same things but not for the same reasons one is a civic courage due to the sense of shame another is military due to experience and knowledge not as socrates said of what is fearful but of the resources they have to meet what is fearful the third kind is due to inexperience and ignorance it is that which makes children and madmen face objects moving towards them and take hold of snakes another kind is due to hope which makes those who have often been fortunate or those who are drunk face dangers for wine makes them sanguine another kind is due to irrational feeling e g love or anger for a man in love is rather confident than timid and faces many dangers like him who slew the tyrant in metapontium or the man of whom stories are told in crete similar is the action of anger or passion for passion is beside itself hence wild boars are thought to be brave though they are not really so for they behave as such when beside themselves but at other times are variable like confident men but still the bravery of passion is above all natural passion is invincible and therefore children are excellent fighters civic courage is the effect of law but in truth none of these forms is courage 
though all are useful for encouragement in danger so far we have spoken of the terrible generally now it is best to distinguish further in general then whatever is productive of fear is called fearful and this is all that causes destructive pain for those who expect some other pain may perhaps have another pain and another emotion but not fear e g if a man foresees that he will suffer the pain of envy or of jealousy or of shame but fear only occurs in connection with the expectation of pains whose nature is to be destructive to life therefore men who are very effeminate as to some things are brave and some who are hard and enduring are cowards indeed it is thought practically the special mark of bravery to take up a certain attitude towards death and the pain of it for if a man were so constituted as to be patient as reason requires towards heat and cold and similar not dangerous pains but weak and timid about death not for any other feeling but just because it means destruction while another was soft in regard to these but unaffected in regard to death the former would seem cowardly the latter brave for we speak of danger also only in regard to such objects of fear as bring near to us that which will cause such destruction when this seems close then we speak of danger the objects of fear then in regard to which we call a man brave are as we have said those which appear capable of causing destructive pain but only when they appear near and not far off and are of such magnitude real or apparent as is not out of proportion to man for some things must appear terrible too and must upset any man for just as things hot and cold and certain other powers are too strong for us and the conditions of the human body so it may be with regard to the emotions of the soul the cowardly then and the confident are misled by their habits for to the coward what is not terrible seems terrible and what is slightly terrible greatly so while in the opposite way to the confident the terrible seems safe and the very terrible but slightly so but the brave man thinks things what they truly are therefore if a man faces the terrible through ignorance e g if a man faces in the transport of madness the attack of a thunderbolt he is not brave nor yet if knowing the magnitude of the danger he faces it through passion as the celts take up their arms to go to meet the waves in general all the bravery of barbarians involves passion but some face danger also for other pleasures for passion is not without a certain pleasure involving as it does the hope of vengeance but still whether a man faces death for this or some other pleasure or to flee from greater evils he would not justly be called brave for if dying were pleasant the profligate would have often died because of his incontinence just as now since what causes death is pleasant though not death itself many knowingly incur death through their incontinence but none of them would be thought brave even if they do it with perfect readiness to die nor is a man brave if he seeks death to avoid trouble as many do to use agathon's words bad men too weak for toil are in love with death and so the poets narrate that chiron because of the pain of his wound prayed for death and release from his immortality similarly all who face dangers owing to experience are not really brave 
this is what perhaps most soldiers do for the truth is the exact opposite of what socrates thought he held that bravery was knowledge but those who know how to ascend masts are confident not because they know what is terrible but because they know how to help themselves in dangers nor is all that makes men fight more boldly courage for then as theognis puts it strength and wealth would be bravery every man he says daunted by poverty obviously some though cowards face dangers because of their experience because they do not think them dangers as they know how to help themselves and a proof of this is that when they think they can get no help and the danger is close at hand they no longer face it but it is where shame among all such causes makes a man face danger that the man would most seem to be brave as homer says hector faced the danger from achilles and shame seized hector and again polydamus will be the first to taunt me such bravery is civic but the true bravery is neither this nor any of the others but like them as is also the bravery of brutes which from passion run to meet the blow for a man ought to hold his ground though frightened not because he will incur disrepute nor through anger nor because he does not expect to be killed or has powers by which to protect himself for in that case he will not even think that there is anything to be feared but since all virtue implies deliberate choice we have said before what this means and that it makes a man choose everything for the sake of some end and that the end is the noble it is clear that bravery because it is a virtue will make a man face the fearful for some end so that he does it neither through ignorance for his virtue rather makes him judge correctly nor for pleasure but because the act is noble since if it be not noble but frantic he does not face the danger for that would be disgraceful in regard then to what things bravery is a mean state between what and why and the meaning of the fearful we have now spoken tolerably adequately for our present purpose chapter two after this we must try to draw certain distinctions regarding profligacy and temperance profligate has many senses it is in a sense the unchastened and uncured as the undivided is the not divided and with the same two classes i e the one capable the other incapable of division for undivided means both what is incapable of division and what is capable but not actually divided and so with profligate for it is both that which by its nature refuses chastening and that which is of a nature to accept but has not yet received chastening for the faults in regard to which the temperate man acts rightly e g children for we give them the same name as the profligate but because of this latter kind of profligacy and further it is in different senses that we give the name to those hard to cure and to those whom it is quite impossible to cure through chastening profligacy then having many senses it is clear that it has to do with certain pleasures and pains and that the forms differ from one another and from other states by the kind of attitude towards these we have already stated how in the use of the word profligacy we apply it to various states by analogy as to those 
who from insensibility are unmoved by these same pleasures some call them insensible while others describe them as such by other names but this state is not very familiar or common because all rather err in the opposite direction and it is congenital to all to be overcome by and to be sensible to such pleasures it is the state chiefly of such as the boors introduced on the stage by comic writers who keep aloof from even moderate and necessary pleasures but since temperance has to do with pleasures it must also have to do with certain appetites we must then ascertain which for the temperate man does not exhibit his temperance in regard to all appetites and all pleasures but about the objects as it seems of two senses taste and touch or rather really about those of touch alone for his temperance is shown not in regard to visual pleasure in the beautiful so long as it is unaccompanied by sexual appetite or visual pain at the ugly nor again in regard to the pleasure or pain of the ear at harmony or discord nor again in regard to olfactory pleasure or pain at pleasant or disagreeable odours nor is a man called profligate for feeling or want of feeling in regard to such matters for instance if one sees a beautiful statue or horse or human being or hears singing without any accompanying wish for eating drinking or sexual indulgence but only with the wish to see the beautiful and to hear the singers he would not be thought profligate any more than those who were charmed by the sirens temperance and profligacy have to do with those two senses whose objects are alone felt by and give pleasure and pain to brutes as well and these are the senses of taste and touch the brutes seeming insensible to the pleasures of practically all the other senses alike e g harmony or beauty for they obviously have no feeling worth mentioning at the mere sight of the beautiful or the hearing of the harmonious except perhaps in some marvellous instances and with regard to pleasant and disagreeable odours it is the same though all their senses are sharper than ours they do indeed feel pleasure at certain odours but these gladden them accidentally and not of their own nature being those that give us pleasure owing to expectation and memory e g the pleasure from the scent of food or drinks for these we enjoy because of a different pleasure that of eating or drinking the odours enjoyed for their own nature are such as those of flowers therefore stratonicus neatly remarked that these smell beautifully food etc pleasantly indeed the brutes are not excited over every pleasure connected with taste e g not over those which are felt in the tip of the tongue but only over those that are felt in the gullet the sensation being one of touch rather than of taste therefore gluttons pray not for a long tongue but for the gullet of a crane as did philoxenos the son of eryxes therefore broadly we should regard profligacy as concerned with objects of touch similarly it is with such pleasures that the profligate man is concerned for drunkenness gluttony lecherousness gourmandizing and all such things are concerned with the above-mentioned senses and these are the parts into which we divide profligacy but in regard to the pleasures of sight hearing and smell no one is called profligate if he is in excess but we blame 
without considering disgraceful such faults and all in regard to which we do not speak of men as continent the incontinent are neither profligate nor temperate the man then so constituted as to be deficient in the pleasures in which all must in general partake and rejoice is insensible or whatever else we ought to call him the man in excess is profligate for all naturally take delight in these objects and conceive appetites for them and neither are nor are called profligate for they neither exceed by rejoicing more than is right when they get them nor by feeling greater pain than they ought when they miss them nor are they insensible for they are not deficient in the feeling of joy or pain but rather in excess but since there is excess and defect in regard to these things there is clearly also a mean and this state is the best and opposed to both of the others so that if the best state about the objects with which the profligate is concerned is temperance temperance would be the mean state in regard to the above-mentioned sensible pleasures the mean between profligacy and insensibility the excess being profligacy and the defect either nameless or expressed by the names we have suggested more accurate distinctions about the class of pleasures will be drawn in what is said later about continence and incontinence chapter three in the same way we must ascertain what is gentleness and irascibility for we see that the gentle is concerned with the pain that arises from anger being characterized by a certain attitude towards this we have given in our list as opposed to the passionate irascible and savage all such being names for the same state the slavish and the senseless for these are practically the names we apply to those who are not moved to anger even when they ought but take insults easily and are humble towards contempt for slowness to anger is opposed to quickness violence to quietness long persistence in that feeling of pain which we call anger to short and since there is here as we have said there is elsewhere excess and defect for the irascible is one that feels anger more quickly to a greater degree and for a longer time and when he ought not and at what he ought not and frequently while the slavish is the opposite it is clear that there is a mean to this inequality since then both the above-mentioned habits are wrong it is clear that the mean state between them is good for he is neither too soon nor too late and does not feel anger when he ought not nor feel no anger when he ought so that since in regard to these emotions the best condition is gentleness gentleness would be a mean state and the gentle a mean between the irascible and the slavish chapter four also magnanimity magnificence and liberality are mean states liberality being shown in the acquisition or expenditure of wealth for the man who is more pleased than he ought to be with every acquisition and more pained than he ought to be at every expenditure is illiberal he who feels less of both than he ought is lavish he who feels both as he ought is liberal by as he ought both in this and in the other cases i mean as right reason directs but since the two former show their nature respectively by excess and defect and 
where there are extremes there is also a mean and that is best a single best for each kind of action liberality must be the mean between lavishness and meanness in regard to the acquisition and expenditure of wealth i take wealth and the art of wealth in two senses the art in one sense being the proper use of one's property say of a shoe or a coat in the other an accidental mode of using it not the use of a shoe for a weight but say the selling of it or letting it out for money for here too the shoe is used now the lover of money is a man eager for actual money which is a sign of possession taking the place of the accidental use of other possessions but the illiberal man may even be lavish in the accidental pursuit of wealth for it is in the natural pursuit of it that he aims at increase the lavish runs short of necessaries but the liberal man gives his superfluities there are also species of these genera which exceed or fall short as regards parts of the subject matter of liberality e g the sparing the skinflint the grasper at disgraceful gain are all illiberal the sparing is characterized by his refusal to spend the grasper at disgraceful gain by his readiness to accept anything the skinflint by his strong feeling over small amounts while the man who has the sort of injustice that involves meanness is a false reckoner and cheat and similarly one class of spendthrift is a waster by his disorderly expenditure the other a fool who cannot bear the pain of calculation chapter five as to magnanimity we must define its specific nature from the qualities that we ascribe to the magnanimous for just as with other things in virtue of their nearness and likeness up to a certain point their divergence beyond that point escapes notice so it is with magnanimity therefore sometimes men really opposite lay claim to the same character e g the lavish to that of the liberal the self-willed to that of the dignified the confident to that of the brave for they are concerned with the same things and are up to a certain point contiguous thus the brave man and the confident are alike ready to face danger but the former in one way the latter in another and these ways differ greatly now we assert that the magnanimous man as is indicated by the name we apply to him is characterized by a certain greatness of soul and faculty and so he seems like the dignified and the magnificent man since magnanimity seems to accompany all the virtues for to distinguish correctly great goods from small is laudable now those goods are thought great which are pursued by the man of the best habit in regard to what seem to be pleasures and magnanimity is the best habit but every special virtue correctly distinguishes the greater from the less among its objects as the wise man and virtue would direct so that all the virtues seem to go with this one of magnanimity or this with all the virtues further it seems characteristic of the magnanimous man to be disdainful each virtue makes one disdainful of what is esteemed great contrary to reason e g bravery disdains dangers of this kind for it considers it disgraceful to hold them great and numbers are not always fearful so the temperate disdains many great pleasures 
and the liberal wealth but this characteristic seems to belong to the magnanimous man because he cares about few things only and those great and not because someone else thinks them so the magnanimous man would consider rather what one good man thinks than many ordinary men as antiphon after his condemnation said to agathon when he praised his defence of himself contempt seems particularly the special characteristic of the magnanimous man and again as regards honour life and wealth about which mankind seems to care he values none of them except honour he would be pained if denied honour and if ruled by one undeserving he delights most of all when he obtains honour in this way he would seem to contradict himself for to be concerned above all with honour and yet to disdain the multitude and reputation are inconsistent so we must first distinguish for honour great or small is of two kinds for it may be given by a crowd of ordinary men or by those worthy of consideration and again there is a difference according to the ground on which honour is given for it is made great not merely by the number of those who give the honour or by their quality but also by its being precious but in reality power and all other goods are precious and worthy of pursuit only if they are truly great so that there is no virtue without greatness therefore every virtue as we have said makes man magnanimous in regard to the object with which that virtue is concerned but still there is a single virtue magnanimity alongside of the other virtues and he who has this must be called in a special sense magnanimous but since some goods are precious and some not according to the distinction above made and of such goods some are in truth great and some small and of these some men are worthy and think themselves so among these we must look for the magnanimous man there must be four different kinds of men for a man may be worthy of great goods and think himself worthy of them and again there may be small goods and a man worthy of them and thinking himself worthy and we may have the opposites in regard to either kind of goods for there may be a man worthy of small who thinks himself worthy of great and esteemed goods and again one worthy of great but thinking himself worthy only of small he then who is worthy of the small but thinks himself worthy of the great is blamable for it is silly and not noble that he should obtain out of proportion to his worth the man also is blamable who being worthy of great goods because he possesses the gifts that make a man worthy does not think himself worthy to share in them there remains then the opposite of these two the man who is worthy of great goods and thinks himself worthy of them such being his disposition he is the mean between the other two and is praiseworthy since then in respect of the choice and use of honour and the other esteemed goods the best condition is magnanimity and we define the magnanimous man as being this and not as being concerned with things useful and since this mean is the most praiseworthy state it is clear that magnanimity is a mean but of the opposites as shown in our list the quality consisting in thinking oneself worthy of great goods when not worthy is vanity 
for we give the name of vain to those who think themselves worthy of great things though they are not but the quality of not thinking oneself worthy of great things though one is we call mean-spiritedness for it is held to be the mark of the mean-spirited not to think himself worthy of anything great though he possesses that for which he would justly be deemed worthy of it hence it follows that magnanimity is a mean between vanity and mean-spiritedness the fourth of the sorts of men we have distinguished is neither wholly blamable nor yet magnanimous not having to do with anything that possesses greatness for he is neither worthy nor thinks himself worthy of great goods therefore he is not opposite to the magnanimous man yet to be worthy and think oneself worthy of small goods might seem opposite to being worthy and thinking oneself worthy of great ones but such a man is not opposite to the magnanimous man for he is not to be blamed his habit being what reason directs he is in fact similar in nature to the magnanimous man for both think themselves worthy of what they really are worthy of he might become magnanimous for of whatever he is worthy of he will think himself worthy but the mean-spirited man who possessed of great and honourable qualities does not think himself worthy of great good what would he do if he deserved only small either he would think himself worthy of great goods and thus be vain or else of still smaller than he has therefore no one would call a man mean-spirited because being an alien in a city he does not claim to govern but submits but only one who does not being well born and thinking power a great thing chapter six the magnificent man is not concerned with any and every action or choice but with expenditure unless we use the name metaphorically without expense there cannot be magnificence it is the fitting in ornament but ornament is not to be got out of ordinary expenditure but consists in surpassing the merely necessary the man then who tends to choose in great expenditure the fitting magnitude and desires this sort of mean and with a view to this sort of pleasure is magnificent the man whose inclination is to something larger than necessary but out of harmony has no name though he is near to those called by some tasteless and showy e g if a rich man spending money on the marriage of a favourite thinks it sufficient to make such arrangements as one makes to entertain those who drink to the good genius he is shabby while one who receives guests of this sort in the way suited to a marriage feast resembles the showy man if he does it neither for the sake of reputation nor to gain power but he who entertains suitably and as reason directs is magnificent for what looks well is the suitable nothing unsuitable is fitting and what one does should be fitting for in what is fitting is involved suitability both to the object e g one thing is fitting for a servant's another for a favourite's wedding and to the entertainer both in extent and kind e g one thought that the mission conducted by themistocles to the olympian games was not fitting to him because of his previous low station but would have been to simon but the man who is indifferent to questions of suitability is in none of the above classes similarly with liberality for a man may be neither liberal nor illiberal chapter seven in general of the other blamable or praiseworthy qualities of character 
some are excesses others defects others means but of feelings e g the envious man and the man who rejoices over another's misfortunes for to consider the habits to which they owe their names envy is pain felt at deserved good fortune while the feeling of the man who rejoices at misfortunes has itself no name but such a man shows his nature by rejoicing over undeserved ill fortune between them is the man inclined to righteous indignation the name given by the ancients to pain felt at either good or bad fortune if undeserved or to joy felt at them if deserved hence they make righteous indignation nemesis a god shame is a mean between shamelessness and shyness for the man who thinks of no one's opinion is shameless he who thinks of every one's alike is shy he who thinks only of that of apparently good men is modest friendliness is a mean between animosity and flattery for the man who readily accommodates himself in all respects to another's desires is a flatterer the man who opposes every desire is prone to enmity the man who neither accommodates himself to nor resists every one's pleasure but only accommodates himself to what seems to be best is friendly dignity is a mean between self-will and too great obligingness for the contemptuous man who lives with no consideration for another is self-willed the man who adapts his whole life to another and is submissive to everybody is too obliging but he who acts thus in certain cases but not in others and only to those worthy is dignified the sincere and simple or as he is called downright man is a mean between the dissembler and the charlatan for the man who knowingly and falsely depreciates himself is a dissembler the man who exalts himself is a charlatan the man who represents himself as he is is sincere and in the homeric phrase intelligent in general the one loves truth the other a lie wittiness also is a mean the witty being a mean between the boorish or stiff and the buffoon for just as the squeamish differs from the omnivorous in that the one takes little or nothing and that with reluctance while the other accepts everything readily so is the boor related to the vulgar buffoon the one accepts nothing comic without difficulty the other takes all easily and with pleasure neither attitude is right one ought to accept some things and not others as reason directs and the man who does this is witty the proof is the usual one wittiness of this kind supposing we do not use the word in some transferred sense is the best habit and the mean is praiseworthy and the extremes blamable but wit being of two kinds one being delight in the comic even when directed against oneself if it be really comic like a jeer the other being the faculty of producing such things the two sorts differ from one another but both are means for the man that can produce what a good judge will be pleased at even if the joke is against himself will be midway between the vulgar and the frigid man this definition is better than that which merely requires the thing said to be not painful to the person jeered at no matter what sort of man he is one ought rather to please the man who is in the mean for he is a good judge all these mean states are praiseworthy without being virtues 
nor are their opposites vices for they do not involve deliberate choice all of them occur in the classifications of affections for each is an affection but since they are natural they tend to the natural virtues for as will be said later each virtue is found both naturally and also otherwise viz as including thought envy then tends to injustice for the acts arising from it affect another righteous indignation to justice shame to temperance whence some even put temperance into this genus the sincere and the false are respectively sensible and foolish but the mean is more opposed to the extremes than these to one another because the mean is found with neither but the extremes often with one another and sometimes the same people are at once cowardly and confident or lavish in some ways illiberal in others and in general are lacking in uniformity in a bad sense for if they lack uniformity in a good sense men of the mean type are produced since in a way both extremes are present in the mean the opposition between the mean and the extremes does not seem to be alike in both cases sometimes the opposition is that of the excessive extreme sometimes that of the defective and the causes are the two first given rarity e g of those insensible to pleasures and the fact that the error to which we are most prone seems the more opposed to the mean there is a third reason namely that the more like seems less opposite e g confidence to bravery lavishness to liberality we have then spoken sufficiently about the other praiseworthy virtues we must now speak of justice note books four five and six of eudamian ethics are books five six and seven of nicomachean ethics and have been excluded from this translation end of book three recording in memory of mitchell edwards